Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Float Your Boat. I'm here with my indelible, unbeatable, and quite round offsider. Excuse me, I've <laughs> lost nine kilos. You have, you have, you have indeed. And, and uh, how many kilos have you lost? Uh, there are thirteen and a half, close to. 14. Can you believe it? No, that's, I'm twi- that's twenty-two ever- kilos between our boats floating. <laughs> we're <laughs> we're not ready to sink yet. But look, um, let's let's talk about who we have on today, Brett. Enough so, of you and enough of me. Today we have a, a, a chap named Paul Field. Now, uh, most people would not be instantly familiar with the name, but he's quite a famous individual. Uh, he has quite a um, well, lengthy track record in the Australian pop culture. Yeah, he does. He came. He started in a band called the Cockroaches, which m- most people would know of the eighties. Yes. Um, and he's had various other bands since then, mm. but mo- most famously, he's a part of the Wiggles. Yes, well, but he's moved on since then, and he's um, he's carving out another niche for himself, and he's um, he's quite a uh, gifted or talented writer. It, appear, it appears so. I mm. haven't read read his book, but yeah. Well, you know, I, I watched the YouTube shorts on uh, about the book, and it's quite an interesting um, uh, premise. But we'll we'll get him to talk about that during our interview. But Paul's, um, you know, uh, a master of no, 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 a jack of many trades. He is. I, I mean, he's now the manager of the Wiggles, which would be a big task if you think about it. They're a worldwide phenomenon. And, um, they're our biggest music export, aren't they? I think they're one of our biggest. Yeah. Well, entertainment, I think. Entertainment. Yeah. So it's a big job. It what is. else can you tell me about him? I mean, you know, you've known him for quite some years, so I've you've known, known the family. I've known Paul and the family since about 1980. Um, Jeff Fat, all those boys. Um, we toured with the Cockroaches many times. We were probably doing the wrong thing and they were probably doing the right thing because they're good boys so and guess what paul's just arrived so let's let's, let's um, get him in let's get him in okay Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. uh, Welcome to our studio, Paul. How are you? Very good, thanks. Welcome to our studio, Paul. Thank Um, you. I'm meeting you for the first time. Obviously, Bretty Boy over here knows you from from way, way back. How far back, Brett? Uh, 1980, I guess. Yeah, I was just shaving, I think. I think Al Silky, he was born back then. <laughs> I, was, I was only thinking driving here today, I, I remember on a couple of occasions getting up at, at the Balmain Leagues Club in particular wow. yeah. and singing Blue River. Wow. Yeah. The Elvis song. Yeah. Well, how long ago was awesome. that? That would have been 83, 82, 83. When they were actually yeah. winning games. 
when they were still a gr- they're still a great side, George. <laughs> yeah, according, according to one <laughs> and Paul's brother Tony. Yeah. Uh, okay, all right, all right, all right. Okay, so uh, uh, Paul, you know, you have a, a quite a, a varied varied career, but let's go back to your your childhood. Yeah. To the roots. Growing up in in uh, Western Sydney or Northwestern Sydney. Tell uh, us yeah, Western Sydney. We grew up originally in Laylor Park. So um, my dad. A very small family. Uh, no, uh, so I'm one of seven kids, the middle child, oh. w- work out that one. And uh, <laughs> Dad w- was a pharmacist um, in Seven Hills and uh, it was great actually. Uh, pharmacies in those days did a huge business of toys, makeup and scripts and things like mm. that before supermarkets really. I-, I can remember when Kmart first opened and it was a big deal, you know. Mm. But it was a, a roaring business and but this is also before the days of health insurance. I'm um, sorry, uh, national health cover with Medicare. Yep. So a lot of people would go see dad because they couldn't afford to see a doctor, right. you know, and he'd often advise them to go next door, of course. But um, so it was a very different era and, you know, he would, you know, so many babies. It was essentially a housing commission area. Yeah, right. And um, so he, he went from looking after babies and toddlers till the 70s where he um, uh, saw a growing problem out there and... Uh, started to counsel addicts, dispense methadone and, and that kind of thing. So it was uh, amazing to see actually that progression as well, you know. It's interesting because I, I grew up in Surrey Hills, which oh, yeah. is the inner city area, and, yeah. you know, it, it had its fair share of problems in the 70s as well with uh, with drugs. Yeah. I mean, there were only two choices back then. It was either marijuana or, or heroin. Wow. Yeah. And there were a lot of, um, in the blocks there around Redfern, there were a lot of um, kids that I went to school with that came from broken... F- broken homes and the parents were off their faces, um, you know, just about every day. Yeah, well... They'd never even had lunch, really. No, nah, and, and, you know, we we saw a lot of our customers and Dad's clients affected by that and, and the reason he got into the drug education thing, he actually used to go around high schools, which is way ahead of his time, um, you know, giving them information, you know, about the, the use and abuse of drugs and um, uh, because he at a massive coronary in 1969 when he mm. was just 33 years old. And Blacktown Hospital had just opened, luckily. And um, he'd actually been out um, coaching my football team way out west and uh, they brought him home and called the ambulance and uh, literally had the last rites. The ambulance officer taking him away said to Mum, you need to know he can't survive. Really? Uh, yeah, so they took him wow. to hospital. He actually flatlined too and they brought him back. And I often think about then, God, seven kids back in 1969, mm. what would have happened to us? Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. So we are very lucky. And, and I think that profoundly affected our view of the world and life and, and all sorts of stuff. So it was, it was um, the fact he survived, uh, that incident was actually a, we took a lot of positive from that, you know, and uh, yeah. Well, it well, must have been hard bringing up seven kids even as a pharmacist, really. Yeah, he, he was an amazing guy, amazing energy, you know, where he, he, he ran the pharmacy, you know, from morning till evening, ran the parents and friends, coached the football teams. He's very much a huge contributor and part of our life. So, um, you know, the, the, the thought of losing him was uh, a big one, you know, and, uh, yeah. And he survived till... Yeah, so he, he kicked on well into... He, he died about uh, 18 years ago now. Right. But he had a, had a, a good long life after that, you yeah, know, and as I say, good. would contribute to the community, you know. He, he said, I've got to pay the rent for surviving, you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> he kept doing it for, a, for a, quite a while until, unfortunately, um, 
he kept getting held up. You know, those who are into the junk, they uh, they kind of do anything really, and uh, it was kind of putting him, his his and his staff's life at risk. So he stopped dispensing, and the violence stopped. The was that in that would have been the eighties? Yeah. Was. So the violent holdups, <laughs> not not just with a knife, but with pistols and well, guns and... eventually one. And you can you can look this up. He actually made the local papers. He was, he's a country boy. He's from Cobo originally. Yeah. And uh, these two guys came in with a uh, a rifle and uh, and grabbed one of the girls out front, dragged her back and just said, give us all you got kind of thing and was holding it at the girl and turned it towards him and he was so angry at like holding a rifle at a girl kind of thing and he grabbed the rifle with his left hand and thumped the guy with his right. Um, and he, But the thing is he'd got their rifle off them. They then laid into him, he went down on the ground, they ran out and he ran after them. <laughs> And took a shot. <laughs> it's a real cobar boy. Right? <laughs> he said, "I had the bugger lined up to be a quadriplegic, right? You know, right. but there was nothing in the chamber. He wasn't to know that. But, uh, um, right. but that was the final thing where he went. You know what, Dad? I think you've <laughs> given time to office. retire. Yeah, yeah. Well, from doing that, you know, and he was a pharmacist for long, longer than that. But uh, yeah, it, you know, those, those poor guys that uh, people that are into drugs and stuff. You can just turn them into, you know, people that aren't don't resemble humans, you know, they, they just uh, are driven by it, you know, and they literally went over the line and held up someone else with a, a knife and the cops eventually got them, you know, but, yeah. Oh, they were that desperate, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, I saw a lot of that in Surrey Hills as well. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I often wondered what it was about the 70s that made, you know, made it so bleak, um, you know, that people you know, chose to use drugs well, a lot more than the decade before. Well, I think, you know. I, I, I think the evidence would point that, you know, um, the, our involvement in the Vietnam War um, introduced heroin in a big way to, to, to yeah. Australia and Sydney. And, you know, they use it because it makes them feel good and, and, you know, it can be an escape for them. But I, I guess the thing for, for just talking about myself and my brothers and sisters was because we were at the shop every day, well, not every day, sorry, you know, on weekends and whenever yeah. Dad needed help us out, and would see people really seriously kind of zombie-like affected by that stuff or any kind of abusive drugs, mm. it, 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 um, it really was took away any romanticism it held. And, you know, we were playing as teenagers, for God's sake, in the cross and other places mm. and, you know, you're offered everything and anything and it wasn't really a choice for us. It was yep. like, well, you know, no thanks, you know, we're cool. Well, it's funny because I was going to say um, <laughs> when the, co- the cockroaches were the polar opposite to the all-nighters, really. Because yeah, right. we sort of got caught up in that world. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. And I'm sure you guys got caught up in part of that, but yeah. not, probably not the drugs part. But um, yeah. I was going to say, we, you know, I knew lots of people in the industry and still do that, yeah. that have got severe addiction to many types of drugs. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, that's right. And, and look, it's, it's commonplace and, and, and it's good a lot of the... Stigma has, has, has um, been removed where, you know, you can be from any socioeconomic group or any suburb, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's everywhere, you know, mm. and it's, you know, uh, at least if people are making choices, they can be informed. But you're right, it, it is interesting to see mates of ours from that era, it's now hitting them. Yeah. You know, and they, they've got to make some serious choices, but it has really wreaked a lot of damage on the poor buggers, you know? It certainly has. Yeah. yeah. No, it, you know, both physically and mentally. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. You know, and anyway, it's, um, it was uh, an interesting time. Well, well I can, my, I, can sit- yeah, my, I was going to say my great memories of the, of the cockies were you guys would be playing cricket, we'd be inside <laughs> pulling 
cones. <laughs> there was, you know, actually there's more violence inflicted on body as a, as a result of cricket, of cricket probably than <laughs> if I'd right. been lighting cones. You know? I, I, I can certainly relate to your kind of upbringing because you, you worked in the pharmacy, the pharmacy yeah. for, your, for your dad. Yeah. I used to work in my dad's shops and, yeah. you know, I used to see those people come in all the time and there yeah. were the occasional hold-up or theft. Yes. And that's exactly what I concluded. I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to go down that path because I've seen the, the, re- the human wreckage that results from, you know, choosing a life of that. And yeah, so it, it's, you know, when you have your own kids and I've got four children and, and you know, they didn't kind of see that stuff but, but they kind of heard enough from me just, look, if you don't start, you don't have to stop kind of thing. And, yeah. And, and they see, have seen enough of that to luckily avoid it because, as I say, it's everywhere. And, and yep. you know, um, uh, yeah, so I, I'm kind of lucky in that sense that I hope their children get the same kind of education, you know, and just, you know. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a good thing we're so much more aware now of, you know, everything, you know. Like, and you, if, you, if you're freaking out about the number of amount of sugar you're taking in your body, then... It naturally should play that other things that made by some bikey up the road, you're probably a bit reluctant to look into. I you think know? so. I think so. But tell me, look, going back to your childhood, right? Yeah. You're middle child out of seven seven mm-hmm. kids. Uh, apart from those hairy moments that you've uh, you you already explained, mm. what was what was your most memorable moment? Like your, your most memorable moments of growing up in a as a middle child? What? Oh, look, we had a great childhood, you know, and as I said, the running start of having a mum and dad that were interested in us yep. really loved us, you know, and, and um, you know, mum was a, a great musician, like a great piano player. She played organ at church. Is that where it started? Yeah, well, dad was a fan of music, but mum could actually play it, right? This is the, I mean, in the 60s, if there was a big TV show on, mum would take us down to some person's place, you know, friend's place who had a TV. It's right. like, wow, man, that's that's, <laughs> that's going back a while, you know. Mm. And, you know, shortly then, of course, we got one. But she would play music to calm us and to kind of gather us around and she'd play also on records, you know, from the Beatles to music, musical theatre to Gilbert and Sullivan. And so a real variety of, of music, but main thing being that it was a real part of our childhood and, you know, we... She famously said, you know, learning music is as important as learning to read and write. So all of us learned an instrument and it's a good thing, you know, for a lot of lot of reasons. And also being part of a family like that, we're kind of tribal, you know, and uh, stuck mm. together a lot, mm. did a lot of things together. And it's kind of cool if you're having a Barney with one sibling, which we weren't the Brady Bunch, we did, at <laughs> least <laughs> there was someone else, you know. So it, it, it's good and, you know, I, I think in a really positive way, you know, I'm still absolutely hanging with my family and actually working with some of them, which yep. not a lot of people can say. I think I'm really lucky to be able to do that, you know. Um, so it was a great experience and it's funny, you know, um, my mother's uh, mother, my grandma, was very positive and real you know, uh, uh, affirming so that – and mum carried that through and, and she did it to me the other day. I, throughout our lives, like if I'd go for a job and didn't get it, she went – she'd say, you know, they didn't deserve your love, right, and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you're at the time, you're going, yeah, okay, you yeah, know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And the other day, actually, I, I, as you guys know, I've got a, a book out at the moment. I was doing some interviews and it's about veterans and their experiences and families and so on. So it's – their stories are, 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 you know, so serious and you can't get it wrong – and I was, I was doing an interview on TV for it and I thought, gee, I, I was a bit worried because it could have been a bit lighthearted, their approach, and uh, concerned about it. I was just – I saw mum on the Sunday and I said, oh, you know, I'm doing this interview, you know, I'm a bit worried. 
She said, love, you'll be the best I'll ever have. <laughs> right? And at 56, I thought, it's not shtick. This is what, it's what she does. But even so, I went, yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, all those years later. Yeah, it's, it, it works. It's not, it's not fake. It's what she does. So I think all of us have been blessed with someone so affirming, you know, and it kind of helps you, doesn't it? So yeah. your parents are real inspirations to all you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just really Rubbish. positive people and... And I think the big thing with Dad, and again, back to that whole thing of him counselling addicts and, mm. and going out for overdose, God knows, all that kind of stuff, he also saw kids that grew up in our area, like families that we knew very well, where the kid would go off the rails, right, you mm. know? And they were good parents and all that, and he was a good kid up to all that point, you know? So, and, you know, he'd write references from when they went to court and all that kind of stuff. So he was very understanding in the sense that, um, he'd often <laughs> two things he'd say: go easy on yourself and don't tell your mother. <laughs> right? And and so we had the case where in high school, you know, and, and other times when you get a bad report or you know you'd be in trouble, and we'd say, oh, so and so, the teacher, you know, like they're this way or the other, you know, kind of defending ourselves. And he'd go, yeah, okay, fair enough, right? And it was like, and even if. You weren't actually, you know, going the whole length on the truth there. Yeah, yeah. It was actually great to know he was on your side. I think purely because he'd seen so many kids where they're in trouble and if the parents, you know, attack them or whatever, that could be it. Yep. They needed to be the people that you can say anything to, they're, they're going to support you. Now, that doesn't mean you, they don't say what's right and wrong, mm. but there's certainly someone to go to. So I was, we were very lucky to have them. Yeah, that's that's yes. incredible. I mean, yeah. your dad did his bit to um, provide enough players for the local footy team or <laughs> cricket team. Yeah. Uh, how many boys and how many girls? Four boys, three girls. And each one of you can play an instrument. I mean, obviously the boys can, but the girls can too. Yeah, yeah. Well, used to. They're not um, not handy now uh, with it. You've got to keep musical instruments enough. But the best thing is the next generation of – so they're kids. Yeah. Because, um, you know, we, have, we get together every Christmas and uh, – one of my sisters lives over in Saudi Arabia, so she was out with three of her kids uh, recently. So we had 40-something people at my oh place my. on Christmas Eve, wow. uh, which is cool. You know, it's, it's sheer anarchy but awesome. And we would normally get together and it was Johnny, Anthony, myself, you know, would do the music or sing, whatever. Yep. Now we're the old buggers sitting back and, <laughs> and, the, and the, the, the new generation are better musicians than we ever were and can yeah. sing in tune and play in tune and all that kind of stuff. But it's awesome, actually, that, that music's still it a real is, part. It is awesome. I mean, yeah. it's, what, what's awesome is that, you know, Lord, we were talking, Brett and I have spoken about this many times, so that, that back in our day, music was considered something you did if you were hopeless at playing sports. Yeah, right. You okay. know, like it wasn't it wasn't mandatory. Now every school has I mean, I think the music department's probably one of the biggest departments in every school across the country. And everyone gets to at least pick up an instrument and try it out. Yeah, so, I hope that's I, I hope that's the case, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. I good. think it is. You know, um one of the guys in our old band, Simon Smith, he's the musical director at Barker College. Yeah. And, and even my son, Lennon, he's at Rose Bay College. He he plays in the stage band and the concert band, mm. and, you know, so mm. I think it is, it's really healthy that kids, uh, you know, I mean, I grew up in Cronulla, you know. Yeah. I got called a poofter because I played trumpet. You wow. Know? Yeah. That, that's how it was in the 70s, yep. you know, and I think yeah. – so, you know, the fact that your parents encourage your – you know, you guys. I was lucky. My father was an entertainer, so he yeah. they encouraged and not me. Not just any entertainer. 
Well, he, I'll keep he always bring has it up. to bring the Ronald McDonald thing up, but because Dad was Ronald McDonald, awesome. Yeah, that's awesome, wow. right? I think yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> he, he winces every time. Oh, no, every time it's a gig. It. That's a hell of a gig. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, he used to always say, you know, if your mates give you a hard time, tell them we're laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> oh, gee, Dad's that would have worked. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just didn't tell them until they found out. But that, that's another story altogether. Yeah. But but I think you know I was lucky because they encouraged me. To play music and oh yeah and I but I you know of course we've encouraged our kids but I think most kids now I mean there's four of us in this room I'm sure all of our kids at least one or mm. two of our kids play music well and even if you don't just do it the enjoyment of music you know yep. um, uh, is a great thing because you know oh it just it's a great outlet and um, it's you know it can be I'm sure it was with you guys it was our salvation at one stage mm. and you know. Anthony, myself, Johnny, all of us have, have um, got great enjoyment. And even if we weren't successful at any point of our musical careers, we st- it's would still be a great part of us, mm. you know, and that's mm. the important thing, I think. So since we're on music, let's, yes. let's move forward to the brothers and the cockroaches, I yeah. guess. Let's, mm. let's touch on that briefly. Like yeah. how did the band get together? So we, we, my dad, as I mentioned before, was from Cobar, the country, and in his day, in the late 40s, early 50s, um, you had to go to the city to get a decent education, you know, mm. like, and um, so he did. He went to a boarding school in Sydney and, because he enjoyed it so much and got so much out of it, he sent us there, even though we're living in the city. So it's kind of in those days still a bit of a, what'd you do wrong? <laughs> you <get laughs> sent there. And uh, in some ways it was probably true, no, no. And... Uh, <laughs> But anyway, because it's so a bit of a strange environment in the sense of, you know, you're, you're there, um, you know, great facilities and all that kind of stuff, but still you're kind of captive there, you know. But musically it was actually pretty cool because mm. older brothers and older friends, you know, would put you onto music, you know, uh, that you probably wouldn't have heard, you know. And so, you 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 know, you're in a, a, a dormitory and stuff and the, the, the big thing to do was to listen to, you know, the big cassette players to music, you know. And so I heard Credence, The Stones, and you know, I introduced my brothers to The Stones. And when I say introduced, you know, we weren't just kind of into it. We were fanatics. Mm, mm. And again, back to the old man, like how cool was he? The Stones had a new live album, a uh, new album, uh, I think in 1976, I think it was Love You Live. And he knew we were kind of like hanging out like junkies <laughs> for for this album. He literally bought the cassette, drove it down to the school for us, played it to us in his car. Wow. Right? wow. It's like, yeah, man, thank what you. What a great memory. Oh, it really is, you know. And and so we, I think I was the first, not I think, I was the first of the three youngest of us um, out of school because the last of the seven kids I was born May 61, Johnny May 62 and Anthony May 63. So we're kind of always kind of destined to do There's stuff together. There's a timeline together. there, isn't there? It is. <laughs> Your dad operated and, to us. And so <laughs> when, you know, we, 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 when I was first out of school, we then actually started to play as a band um, mm. at school and at other things, you know. So I'd, I'd literally, they, I'd get them to jump the wall. We'd take them to a gig, I'd drop them back kind of thing. So it was cool fun. And it really was just you know, playing school dances and the audience was our age, mm. you know, and rather than, um, you know, seeking it out, they come to us. And actually I can tell you a burning bush moment before the cockroaches started at school because um, I was known for being such a music nut and that is the word, right, obsessed. We had a year 10 form, a social, right, where they said the year 10 band, the boys, 
we're, we're doing a, uh, the dance, you know. And uh, so one of them said, why don't you get up and sing a couple of songs? I went, sure, that'd be great, you know. And of course, it was a Rolling Stones song and some of you know, others. <laughs> anyway, the same daggy guy, when you'd go to a dance prior to that and, you know, I'm from an all-male school, so there'd be only X number of girls there. You had to get in pretty quickly, otherwise you'll stuff dance with your mates or forming scrums on the floor, right, you know. So that's what the normal way of it was. I sang at this Year 10 social. We had a break and not one but two girls came up to me to say g'day. And this is Old Testament Bernie Bush moment you're going. (laughs) Same daggy guy but behind a microphone. The appeal is Superhero. different. <laughs> I don't know what the adjective is, but it was like, this is good. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. good. Yeah, that f- well, that being, fueled the fire a little bit. I, I said, well, being yeah. a front man was a superhero power, no doubt. <laughs> you know, I, I, that's how I always saw it anyway. You know. so, so the cockroaches... Formed at school. Formed at school. Yeah, absolutely. Known as the cockroaches or something yeah, else we beforehand. Did. We actually called ourselves the cockroaches. Um, Who came up with that sterling name? Uh, me, because I think it was me, but I'll, I'll run with it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Right. You claim it. And uh, <laughs> purely because, again, the stone, two reasons. The Stones used a nom de plume when they do secret gigs before a tour. Yes. Keith and the cockroaches. So they called themselves the cockroaches. Mm. Three reasons. Second, it was a bit of a spin-off of the Beatles, you know, like a bit of a play on that. Mm. And the other one at the school, one of the head, head teachers there, any boys that were in trouble, he'd call them cockroaches. <laughs> it was like, well, that's us. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, I got to tell you a story because you said I'll take on the – I came yeah. up with the cockroaches when yeah. we were doing the documentary for the all-nighters. Mm. We interviewed all of the all-nighters <laughs> and every single one of them said that they were the inspiration that decided on doing Montego Park. <laughs> Every single band member. Of course. <laughs> and they all had a different story about it. That's awesome. That's, That's a great study in humanity, isn't you know, it? Yeah. Just, you know, it's just how it went. They so, it. so, Paul, tell me, how did Jeff, Jeff, was Jeff at school with you? No. So just a few years older than us. I think he's one of the last remaining... Fighters in the Civil War still alive. And, uh, <laughs> even though he sleeps a lot. Yeah, well, that could be the secret to success. And now, a word from our sponsors. This is about the 400th take, listeners. <laughs> this is our, uh, this is our um, for a male sponsor, Mungrel Joe's. Yes, Mungrel Joe's. So, hey, Brett, what keeps you going? I'm not sure what you're implying. I don't like where your mind's going with this one, Brett, but uh, without getting personal, there are many times I need a hit, and not from a bus. What keeps me going is a steaming hot cup of coffee, and not just any coffee. Ah, you must be talking about Mungrel Joe's. Yeah, our proud sponsor. Yes, that deep, rich, tasty and fulfilling coffee that perks you up, puts lead in your pencil, makes you glisten, and puts hairs on your chest. But what does it do for men? Boom, boom. (laughs) It brings out the mongrel in you. God, seriously, folks. Seriously, folks. Mungrel <laughs> That's Joe's. my line. No, That's your line. <laughs> Mungrel Joe's is the best taste experience ever. It's 100% Australian. And not only is it a performance coffee, it's strong and smooth. Like me, of course, George. <laughs> it's the greatest coffee on earth. The world's greatest coffee. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Jump online at mungrelchoes.com.au and give it a shot. Excuse the pun. No, 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 you didn't have to say that. Well, it's you printed it on the page. You're on, you're on fire, Brett. I am on we fire. We could have scratched that out. And just for our listeners to put put it, put it in a discount code, float your boat, and you will get a special discount on your first order. Remember that it's float your boat. One word. 
If you love coffee, you should try Mungle Joe's. I'm telling you, folks, aside from this great script that George wrote. <laughs> and it was so obvious you were reading it. <laughs> yes, George, it was. <laughs> anyway, listeners, Mungle Joe's, it's, it's the best. So we used to go to big day outs and God knows what. Mm. And because the Wiggles at one stage were huge in America, mm. right, in the States. Anyway, um, Wilco were on stage, right? And mm. um, so they're playing away and Murray's out in the audience, like, you know, open air gig and stuff. <laughs> and the singer goes, hey, Murray, is that? Yeah, it's yeah, Murray right. from the Wiggles. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, he does stand out. But... Uh, but when did you officially kick off your your rock career outside of school? Like when when did that happen? Well, it, it really, again, Johnny and Anthony was nineteen eighty. You know, um, I think they left school in eighty. But mm. we we're playing gigs prior to that, and it really just grew from that. Really, just from you know, kids that saw us at school. Then when they went to uni, when they were saying, "What bands do you want?" Our name was mentioned, and we just gigged all the time, and and it just mm. grew and grew from there. So we. Amongst many Sydney bands, you know, had a great name for being live, a good live act. Mm. And in those days you could, we'd put out independent singles. But we really didn't fit into what bands got signed, you know. And you'd hear bands getting three album deals you think, oh, wow. And we thought, it's never going to happen to us. Mm. We, 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 we kind of look too much like our audience kind of thing, you know. And, and so anyway, we, we'd do clips. We actually charted with some of our singles for a while there as well. And then one day we were supporting... The Uncanny X-Men at Selena's in, oh my God. in, in Coogee Bay. And there was a record producer there, Charles Fisher, who looked him up, had huge success over the decades. And he basically had a good ear for, for, for melody but also was just looking at the crowd reaction and he spoke to a guy running a music label and said, listen, if you don't sign them, I will. These guys can sell records. Yep. You know, and he was right, you know, and he produced us luckily. Otherwise... We would have just been a, a name from the past uh, at at pub level, you know. Yeah. Well, so so who wrote the the music? Uh, I mean, the, the the well, the music and the lyrics. Who? Mainly Johnny. We, we we all have a go at it, and you know, kind of learnt our craft over the time. But mm. Johnny Field has a real uh, gift. And, so it came and, easy for him, did it? Yeah, you know, like I actually went to college with him, teachers' college, and I was one of those guys who would start early for the assignment. And he'd start two nights before and he'd go, what do they want to hear? Great, boom. And it used to kill me. I'm thinking, that's yeah. so unfair. <laughs> but, but, you know, same with songwriting. And, and so he, you know, for the cockroaches, he was our main songwriter. And um, actually there's a great thing which we learnt. So bands in those days, of course, you know, and, and this is bands around the world, you know, like um, if, you know, decent money can be made if you're the songwriter. So it used to cause a lot of angst with bands, you know, um, if, you know, there was one main songwriter and the others are going, hang on, we're, we're touring to promote your album. Yeah. And this is a shameless name drop, but uh, we've been lucky to meet some wonderful musicians over the years. And John Fogarty from Credence, yeah. who was a Wiggles fan and we did something with him and awesome, awesome. And he was telling me the same story. They had huge hits. And he was the, the, the sound. He was a guitarist, the singer, the songwriter. And they had, like, as many hits in a couple of years there as the Beatles, you know. Um, and the rest of the band weren't thought, well, we want to be a part of this. And it caused real friction and 
eventually he let them songwrite and, of course, they couldn't. couldn't yeah, right. and, and that was kind of the end of the band. Back to the, the cockroaches days, we, we, didn't, we didn't resent Johnny. It was a gift, but it was funny. I remember at one stage there, and these numbers aren't real, but they'll give you an indication. And we're brothers, and we got some royalty check for the quarter or something like that. And, uh, and Anthony opens up in the moment. We're probably in a Trago going to a gig. He goes, oh, cool. Ah, I got a royalty check. You know, what'd you get? 800 bucks. Wow. God, man. Oh, wow. Wow. That's awesome. And I opened up and I, I wrote a couple more with Johnny. And um, uh, what'd you get, mate? Oh, pick a number, you know, 1,500 bucks or two grand. Wow. Wow. You know, what'd you get, Johnny? Oh, no, mate. No, 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 no. No, no. What'd you get? You know, no. we're brothers. There's no way he was not going <laughs> to show us or we'd, you know, strangle him and get it off him. So eventually he just went, oh, yeah, 80 grand. I've heard that, mo- well, you know, most f- famous bands split up because of that usually. Musical differences, they say. But <laughs> I read recently that Oasis have that same policy. And we had the same policy with the All-Nighters. Oh, good on you. Didn't matter who wrote, we all got a cut. Good work. You yeah. know, we used to say it's like having a Well, that was log- a problem in a band with 30 members. That's right. <laughs> well, was, we used to say it's like having a foot-long hot, hot dog and having one each. One each, <laughs> yeah, each you know. It's like... That was- but, uh, yeah, Oasis apparently have that same thing and their manager is classed as a separate party oh. and he is like the adjudicator of any issues. That's why they've probably lasted as long yeah. as they have. And yeah. So my question is, you've met way too many famous people. Yeah. Who, who's the mo- who, who impressed you the most or who were you most nervous okay. to meet? Oh, undoubtedly the most nervous. I started with John Fogarty. That was – I literally was in the studio for a day with him, which was just dream you, come true, yeah. right, you know. So I'll still be getting over – particularly back to, you know, the Year 10 dormitory when the country boys would be playing Credence mm. and then to actually meet this guy and same voice, just awesome. Mm. Putting that aside, though, the most surreal moment was Robert De Niro. Right. And the Wiggles were playing the Beacon Theatre in New York City, which is an awesome theatre anyway. Stones played there, blah, mm. blah, blah. And – it was chock-a-block and, and they were huge at the time, the Wiggles. And so celebrity has a real currency in New York, but they're kind of cool. They actually don't annoy them. They kind of let them be, you know. Jerry Seinfeld was a huge fan and he was at the gig and his wife and, and kids would, um, the currency of celebrity, we'd be doing the Today Show and they kind of just appear. They obviously could get access anywhere <laughs> and say day. So he was in the audience, which was pretty cool. And our tour manager got a phone call, and luckily I was there. She went, Robert De Niro would like to come to the show. I went, if my grandparents were here, I'd kick them out. <laughs> he can come. Tell him to come, right, you know. So he's with his, his partner, this beautiful Amazonian-looking woman and their little boy, right, you know. And they were saying he's ten blocks away, he's eight blocks away. And anyway, the show, we were due to go on at a certain time, and America's a funny country that's either heavily unionised, like Manhattan is, a la Sopranos unionised, oh. or slave labour where you've got no rights, which is the majority of the country. We're just, you know, workers just don't get anything, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we had to go on at the set time, you know, otherwise it would, would have cost us a fortune, God knows why. So in an act of selflessness, I said, guys, you go on, I'll meet De Niro and say hello and um, make sure he gets his seat, right? You know? <laughs> anyway, so you're right. Yeah, off you go, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, that was a cursing me under the breath, but part. I said, no, 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 I'll make sure, you, you know, I'll, I'll ask him if he can meet you guys, you know. So they go on stage and, and, and he, he eventually turns up just a few minutes later, actually. And uh, actually, I made sure I jumped in and said, look, it'd be, the guys would love to meet you, we, you know. And he said, of course, of course. Anyway, so he takes his seat and I've got to say, 
I was no exception. The Wiggers were the same. We just looked at him the whole time, right? You know? <laughs> You're playing for him. And and it's funny because his little boy was getting into it. His partner was just so effusive and really getting into the songs and grooving around, dancing around in a seat. And he literally had a tub of popcorn and was studying them. That's the only word for it. He was really studying what they did. I was thinking, I can't detach De Niro from his characters. I think it's like Max Cady, you know, watching the yeah, Wiggles, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But he was lovely. He came back afterwards and, and was just a dad, you know, He's, he, and he was so lovely. And uh, that's the mind blow. And I, I, I rang my wife after the time and, and also I was saying to Anthony backstage afterwards, I said, no offence to them, but if you meet someone from home and away, it's just not going to be the same after that, is <laughs> yeah, it? No. <laughs> do, you, well, do you remember meeting Bob Hawke at an open air show at the Domain? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. What did he say to you? Uh, well, I met him, uh, but you guys met him. I re- we were at the same gig, yeah. you know, obviously. I remember him walking backstage and there was a lot of, you know, so-called rock stars there. But yes. when he walked in, the the whole air of the backstage <laughs> changed. He had a presence like... Oh, I, yeah. I, I, met, I mean, I've met quite a few people over my days, but yeah. I've got to say, him and Paul Keating, probably for me, were, you know... Yeah, they had this. They had this charisma back in they those did. days in the eighties. And, and also, he was, you know, prime minister that invite, invited rock and rollers back to you know, Kirribilli yeah. House. That was doing a lot for youth, and it was, you know, it was a prosperous time in Australia. Mm. You know, and, and, and his daughter loved the cockroaches and the all. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> well, was, it was funny. I, I got, I went up to him um, because also, you know, growing up in Lalo Park, uh, I said to him, and it was very true. They launched the Gough Whitlam launched the campaign for his election right. in the, for the 1972 campaign at Blacktown Civic Centre, right? And this sounds like we grew up in the Great Depression, but it's very true. One of the, the two big things that out west we really voted for him and so on. One was he planned to connect sewerage. Now that's big deal in those days. Yeah, we, those days. I can remember the days. You know, literally, the, the dunny truck would walk over. Yeah. You had bloody you know pots yeah. with a guy you know out in the backyard. And so sewerage, he was going to like the West will be connectors, like we're voting for you. Yeah. And there's a bloke working on my back door, uh, back deck uh, today um, who was um, the age to be conscripted for Vietnam. And he, 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 he said to me um, uh, just the other day, he said, uh, my mate got conscripted. He did return, but he's, it, it ruined him. He's never been the same, you know. And he said, and I was eligible for it. My whole family voted for Whitlam to get out of Vietnam and he said and we didn't have to go so it was a big deal and, mm. and I said the thing was my dad drove us down to Plaquetown Civic Centre and outside just to witness this excitement for our town that you know yeah, a big right. change so I, I told Bob Hawke this I said, and he said classic guy he went you know we both come a long way since then haven't we <laughs> <laughs> anyway so uh Let's move on to the to your most recent. Well, or do you want to go? I just one more question. I yeah. mean, you you transitioned at some point. You 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 guys sat down and said we're going to transition from the cockroaches to the wiggles. No, we didn't no. sit so, down. No, so, so how did that happen? So um, a few things, but basically, Anthony it, it, it came out of the army, and uh, cockroaches were still kicking, and mm. and he, he was. It didn't really affect his um, ability to play with us for a little while there anyway. Mm. He'd pay guys to do his guard duty, right? <laughs> he'd do a right. gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, he got out and, and that was cool. And he'd kind of done the macho, blokey side of his himself. Right. And so I was looking for something profoundly different. And again, 
I really don't know how the world works, right? My kids hear this from me all the time, right? But, you know, awful things happen and wonderful things happen. And I don't know how it works, but I know things are connected. That I do know, right? You know, there's mm. real connections that are there for us. And here's one. So that Anthony's out of the army. One of my sisters said, can you drive me? I don't have a car. Can you drive me down to sign up? I want to do this early childhood course at one of the uni campuses. He went, yeah, no worries. So he drives her down. He, he parks with her and he said, oh... Uh, I'll come with you while you fill out the form. He's walking through the campus of Macquarie Uni, the Waverley campus. Say there were 400 people there, and I think that's an accurate number, 395 were women. He went, this is a good place to be. (laughs) (laughs) And and he signed up as well. He said, what the hell, I'm out of the army, bloke city. This is kind of women's city, feminine city, you know. know? And so that's the very real honest reason he signed up. Funny enough, my sister didn't do the course, but he did. And after that initial uh, inspiration, uh, he actually loved the course, right? And he started this early childhood course, was fascinated by it. And then in that year, the cockroaches took off. So he deferred, all right? The cockroaches had a few years of great mm-hmm. success, a lot of fun. And then 1988, things changed in, in two levels. The industry changed where you could get played on local radio, Newcastle could be playing a song. Adelaide, you could have a hit in Adelaide and it would force other stations. In 88, it, it, it changed where a huge amount was paid for FM licences yep. and one dude, and it would be a bloke in Sydney, would program the whole of Australia. Licensing laws changed so that every pub was a venue. That stopped. And then we had a personal family tragedy that year, late in, in 1988, where we were touring and I had two children at that stage. My daughter, Bernadette, died from sudden infant death syndrome. And obviously just my world in a lot of ways came to an end. You know, I was crushed by it. And so the confluence of all those things took the wind really out of our sails. Mm. And one of Anthony's great gifts is kind of like the canary down the mine. When it's not fun or he's not enjoying it, he gets away from it, you know. And so I went, you know what, I kind of still play when I can, but I'm going back to uni and do my, my, finish this course, you know. So he did. And the cockroaches still kept going, um, but it was different. It was very different, profoundly different. And at one stage he actually did say at one of our meetings, you know, I'm studying early childhood music. It's amazing. We should do an album of kids' music, which at the time sounded like, why don't we fly to Mars? You know, it's like, what do you mean? You know, like da-da-da. And in some ways it was good that we didn't go, yeah, let's do it. He went off and did it himself. And the reason he did this album, he said, well, I'm going to be a preschool teacher. There's not many blokes in preschool teaching and stuff. This might help me get a gig if they say, wow, I've made an album of music. Aren't you a clever lad? Come on in. So it did help him get a job and he taught at a Jewish preschool for a few years and he took it to the ABC and they released it as an album. And so that's how it started, very organically, very naturally and and probably for the better because had the older two brothers been a part of it, it would have changed the dynamic. There was no circuit. They kind of created their circuit. But the lessons of the cockroaches era era was, was invaluable to them so that you know, that whole thing about sharing songwriting, uh, about doing a gig. You didn't need big production. You could strip it down. And also, having been ripped off like everyone in a band from agents, <laughs> uh, from liars and thieves, and yeah. I'm sure there are good ones out there, and we had a couple good of Good liars yeah. and good thieves. Yeah, there <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. I can't <laughs> think of any in particular. Though. No, but, you know, where, you know, they double dip, they yeah. lie to you, da-da-da. You know what? Let's keep away from all that negativity and all that corruption and stuff. Let's do it ourselves. And they did. 
uh, and was awesome. And it just grew and grew and grew. And even down to the videos where, you know, and, and Brett, you remember this, you know, you made a video in the 80s at any era, cost you a lot of money. Cost a fortune. Yeah, and it could take days, you know, to do a three-and-a-half-minute clip and chicks with clipboards and all these people you've never met before and catering and God knows what. grand lighter. <laughs> That's it, you know. <laughs> and when Anthony started The Wiggles, he said, you know what, um, we don't have any money, but it would be great to put out a whole video, full-length video of all the songs on the album. Now, can I just pause for a second? That was in 1991. Beyonce got kudos for doing that a few years ago. Anthony Field in 1991. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. And, and it was a great idea. And, and he went into the studio and we had kids in the video and stuff. And prior to that, and, and again, you'd remember, film clips would be the, the up to the techs, right? So the lighting people, the sound people, makeup, et cetera, et cetera. And you'd have to wait till they're ready. Then you do your 30 seconds of creativity and then wait another while they readjusted. Well, he basically said, we can't afford to do that. We'll, we'll shoot this video like you do live TV, like a live switch. So a couple of cameras, camera one, camera two, the wide, that kind of thing. And we'll do the song, go back, play it back. If there's a mistake, we redo it. If there's no mistake, that's in the can. So there's no post-production, right? And the beauty of having some little kids in there, and they're all literally my sons and my sister's kids and God knows what, was um, from an early childhood point of view, he'd say to the text, guys, you can't be mucking around with the lighting. You have to be ready to go because we, with kids, might only get one take. So it changed the dynamic from the word go. And they made this full-length video, which no one was doing in those days. And now it's de rigueur. You know, you, if, if you're uh, de rigueur, if, if, if you... Uh, a, a, an early childhood group has uh, an album out, you expect the video. So they created a genre in that sense. They know? did, indeed. Yeah, and so it was a, an exciting time to watch them grow and grow and grow and grow. And, you know, even in Australia, and then, of course, overseas success, which is the stuff you dream of, mm. but it happened. So on the way here, George, we were talking about Tony and, yeah. and the Wiggles now, because George said, it's like a franchise now. And I said, no, no, Tony's... Yeah. Tony's still there, you know, and yeah. and George said, why does he still do it? And I assume it's because he still loves it. Oh, like I said, you know, you know, I'm naturally kind of conservative. He's not. And, mm. and if he's not enjoying it, mm. he'll change everything to make sure he is enjoying it. Now, number one, he, he loves music, right? Mm. And it's such a creative outlet for him, you know, and he, you know, what group can produce three albums a year, mm. three videos a year and tour. So there's so much um, he gets back from this area and it's also something he, he started and created mm. with his mates. Mm. But nonetheless, it's, it's his thing and even if he stopped and did something different, you know, why stop? Mm. You know, like that's the big thing. It, it, it's something that gives you that much enjoyment and creative um, flow, uh, you'd be mad to stop. So I, I think you'll be in a walking frame, um, you know. Uh, we'll have to kind of get the big hook and say, mate, come on. It's time. <laughs> time for your meds. <laughs> in the nursing home. So yeah, the jiggles. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's just naturally. <laughs> but, but I'm getting back to you, Paul. Yeah. I mean, you weren't actually touring as part of the Wiggles, but... No. What were your passions around this time? Like when all this was going off, what were you thinking of and focusing on? Well, uh, family mainly, right? So uh, I, I was the first one married, first one with kids. So mm. that is still my main focus in life. But music, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the joy from it. And and 
you know, when my mates get together, you know, that's kind of all we talk about, you know, stuff you've heard, something new and still excited by that. But, yeah, I, I, I did have different priorities in that sense mm. uh, that I had, you know, to get put on bread on the table. And so in those interim years when it was pretty much the same mixture of guys doing three different things, so the cockroaches were still kind of limping on, I started this rockabilly band which originally had Jeff... Anthony, or Tony as you call him, and as it was back then, uh, Tony Henry on the drums. It was almost like the cockroaches, just a different variation. And the Wiggles, which had Jeff and Anthony, you know. And it was just kind of like we're doing all these little musical projects and one eventually took off. But I did, I did some, before I came on board officially as the Wiggles manager, which is now 20 years ago, for about six years I did different things and I, because I, uh, I needed a day job. Yep. And, and so I worked at the Supreme Court uh, for three years and then that opened up a new area of interest for me. And then I, was, I went to a Royal Commission of Inquiry into Police Corruption, so the Wood Royal Commission. Wow. Yeah, which was a trip. And, um, and so I had a, an amazing, interesting, interesting job there and met a lot of people, um, uh, both from military and, and police and judicial area. And at the end of that, uh, I then managed the Wiggles, which was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> a real real difference. But they were setting up their office for the first time and it's serious, you know, some of the areas I worked in, I was the only civilian on the investigations team and I brought um, people who were young guys with qualifications that who were into the audio and visual area. Um, and and so it's funny, I, once I started managing the Wiggles, I got a couple of these guys to work for us to shoot our videos and sound and... Um, we got a, a notice to appear at the trial of, a, of at the time, Sydney's, probably Australia's biggest cocaine dealer because um, we were part of the evidence. We, we had video and audio of some of his uh, naughty uh, behaviour. And so we were called up and I had to write back to the DPP saying, look, we're shooting a video. Um, <laughs> of course, we'll have to attend, but if you can give us some indication of the date so that we can work around it because it costs X number of dollars per day. And eventually the guy pled guilty so we didn't have to appear. But I keep thinking someone at the Department of Public Prosecutions must have thought, what the hell goes on at the Wiggles? <laughs> These guys are involved in law enforcement. And, you know, so it was a, a, an interesting time uh, in between that. And, and that's, that's why I actually wrote a book under an alias for reasons of self-protection, uh, which is now called Confessions of a Crooked Cop under the name Sean, Pad Sean Padrick, which is a, an Irish version of my dad's name, John Patrick. And uh, so I wrote that 12 years ago. Um, so that was a good, interesting thing. But it was good to see I got a lot of paralegal experience. Um, I learned so much from that, you know, and uh, it, was, it was great. So moving forward to Now's project, mm. which yes. is Give Me Shelter, which yeah. is the book. Mm. So tell us about that, like what let, I guess part of what you just said led you to this? Is that, is that yes. So, I, I, as I mentioned at the commission, I met all sorts of people, military, police and, and so on. And one of the guys I worked with, um, he was in witness protection. And because the book I wrote about was about Tre Trevor Haken, who was um, one of the key witnesses at the commission, uh, a crook cop who did the right thing and helped us explore uh, corruption. Um, anyway, one of the guys I worked with, David Savage, um, 
was an agent with the AFP. He then did a lot of work with the UN overseas in Myanmar, Sri Lanka, various other places, East Timor. Um, a lot of wonderful work he did. Anyway, he ended up in Afghanistan as part of the uh, reconstruction team there. Like really um, important work but dangerous work. Um, as in, with, in going into villages, building drainage, dams, lighting, all that kind of stuff. But you're, you become a target for the Taliban. And David uh, was targeted by a suicide bomber. And the Taliban, who seriously are uh, all kinds of evil, um, used a child, a 12-year-old boy, strapped eight kilos of explosives to him, sent him in uh, to, to detonate uh, as close to David as he could. Anyway, luckily for David, he survived, but has 60 pieces of ball bearings still in him uh, floating around. So he's in a wheelchair now. Anyway, I heard about the accident and I went to visit him at St Vincent's and he was saying he wasn't working for the military at the time. He was in a civilian kind of role. And uh, he said, this organisation called Soldron have really helped me. Mm. I went, wow, I've never heard of them. I said, look, we have a TV studio and a recording studio and post-production suite. We could do a community service ad for them, you know. And he said, oh, great, that'd be wonderful. I said, can you introduce me to other vets and I'll film their stories and, and, and help them out. So I did. And that's where I met Gary Wilson, who was working with two commando and American Special Forces. And he survived a Black Hawk helicopter crash, like a miracle, a miracle he's alive. And some other vets. And these stories just blew my mind. They're unbelievable stories. And I think, not I think, it's true. A lot of Australians aren't aware of what the wonderful job, successful job the Aussies have done over there, but also the kind of things that I've experienced. Because governments since the Vietnam War have controlled what we hear about. Yes. Because obviously they don't want the public saying why are we there and should we be there and that mm. kind of thing. Mm. But I think that's a great disservice to those servicemen and women because none of us are aware. And anyway, a publisher who had been involved with my first book said, are you ever going to write another one? I said, oh, no, that was kind of organic. I was there at the time, da-da-da. And I see a lot of this woman and she said, I started telling about the people I work with. She went, there's your story. There's your book. Why don't you tell those stories? And I went, yeah, right. And so, again, with people I'd hung with or met apart from these vets, um, I expanded it to be not only veterans of different theatres of war. So I've got two Vietnam War vets, a lot of Iraq and Afghan vets, but also guys that you, we would all know. So Paul Stewart, who was in The Painters and Dockers, mm. <laughs> an amazing band in the yeah. time, wild guy at the time. And his brother, Tony Stewart, was one of the Balibo Five journalists killed by right. the Indonesian army in East Timor, mm. which explains of why he went off the rails a little bit yeah. for a while there, which he would, he, he, we talk about. Um, through the Wiggles, I met a, a widow of a firefighter killed in 9-11, you know, in the World Trade Centre Tower Number 2. So all these people, are inter fascinating people I'd met over the years, I thought it's, it's, it's uh, we should hear their stories and... and uh, half of the royalties and any money I receive goes to soldier on. So, yeah, it's something. It seemed like a natural project to do for me. And, and, and writing comes easy for you, like it's um, it's something that you don't really struggle with. Oh uh, no, it, it 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 takes time. But having done a book before, that was a good heads up and a good mm. learning process. And absolutely, my experience at the Supreme Court and 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 Royal Commission exposed me to a lot of good speakers, like the best, a lot of good writers in, in, a, in a different format, but, mm. but still the best where, you know. Um, and then I love biographies. I really love biographies and that's kind of what I read all the time. And I love history, you know. So it seemed a really natural combination. And also 
their stories blew me away as, you know, from human element, from historical element. And some of these young vets, you know, like a, a guy called Kyle Wilson, who's like literally in his late 20s, lives out west near me, literally a, a suburb away. He got a medal of gallantry from his service in, in Afghanistan. And, um, uh, you know, I was, I was talking about what happened, you know, and I, 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 at one point I said, do you have any photos of this? He went, oh, yeah, 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 you know, they in the digital age, a lot of what happens, there's there's shots of them. They're not pose shots, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, he's telling me in Afghan is Afghanistan is, is largely like Mars. It's desert. But there are patches in villages with irrigation of a cornfield and a whatever. And the night before this contact where he he got the Medal of Gallantry, him and his mate, they slept overnight in this cornfield. And he's got a photo of that. You know, and again, the, the historian in me was like getting goosebumps, going, oh my goodness, you know, like, mm. and, and it's great to have access to the imagery as well, you know, and uh, so anyway, it's, it's been a, 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 a labour of love. I, I, I've loved telling these people stories. You get involved with them as well, and they deserve to have their stories told. Yeah, that's part of the reason why we do float your boat, is to, to get those stories that wouldn't normally be out there. For everybody, because everybody has a great story. I think mm. you know, that, that's that's the way we see it, and you know, having you here today is is part of that. You know, so everybody should go out and buy the book. Well, thanks. Sure. Yeah, it's, I, I'm sure they'll enjoy it. It's a hell of a read, mm -hmm. and and uh, yeah. So thanks. It's uh, give me shelter again. The Stones fan continues. I, 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 as, soon as, <laughs> as soon as I saw the title, I went, "Oh well, I know where that comes from." But, <laughs> but it fits perfectly in the sense does. of you know that's an apocalyptic song. A hell of an, an artwork that song. God yep. help us. Can you beat that song? You know, and and but also it's you know. Uh, war, it's, uh, you know, rape, murder, it's just a shot away, you know. Mm -hmm. And also the part of redemption, love, sister, it's just a kiss away. And, and mm -hmm. these people in the, in the book, you know, first responders, vets and the families, they were the best of the best. And yet a lot of them have been crushed by the weight of their experience. And that's kind of all of us at times mm -hmm. too, you know. And, and knowing that they were the best of the best but also can be crushed, um, is comforting in some ways, you know, and 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 the punchline of that is they do need our help, you know. For that, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if there was one piece of wisdom <laughs> that you'd give yourself as a, if you were five years old, what would it be? Oh, really? I, I think um, do what you do what you love, you know, mm. if you can, and. And, and I don't mean necessarily make a career out of it, but, you know, music is, is still the stuff that inspires me and excites me mm. in different ways, you know, like, um, but, you know, I still go to way too many gigs compared to normal people. <laughs> but I, it's, it's like a, an injection, you know, and, and I still buy music. I must be the last guy standing that does, you know. <laughs> Um, Except for Peter Travis. Yeah, there you go. There <laughs> Me one, and Pete. There's one record shop left in your in your neighbourhood. There must be. <laughs> Where so, do you go? <laughs> so Beatles, Stones or Elvis? Oh. oh, to me, to me, the Stones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they've each got, you know, uh, their awesomeness and, and it, it's splintered. So Anthony, Tony would be absolutely Elvis, the number one. Mm. Um, but as far as a group goes, uh, for longevity, for uh, 
for yeah, playing live and the rest of it, you know, the Stones, I think, for most of us, yeah, for the field boys. For the field boys. Yeah. <laughs> George, have you got some more? you got any pearls of wisdom or a No, question? no, no. I, you know, I'm just getting back to what you said before. You don't know how things work, but, you know, one thing leads to another. I mean, yeah. obviously, in your life, um, everything that you did was a stepping stone to something naturally up onwards and upwards. And uh, I can see your, your progression has been quite interesting, but uh, where to from here? Oh, doing, you know, um, what I enjoy still. And, and you know, uh, there's a great movie uh, called Fury with uh, Brad mm. Pitt in it. Mm. And he's got a great line. He's a tank driver in the Second World War. It's a hell of a movie. He doesn't say much. He doesn't say much. But one of the things he does say is, best job I ever had. And uh, I often say that to myself. A few of us say to ourselves, you know. And The Wiggles is a great, uh, full on, but a great job. You know, it's... The outcome, you know, it entertains families, which is awesome. You get to work with your brothers and children. Some of them are kids work in the company. Um, so we've just begun a new era with that. You know, they're, they're just breaking again in the States with the, the latest iteration of the Wiggles, which have been going five years. And we're getting great success with that. So to continue that. And then really the other part, you know, as, as a 56-year-old father, to also, you know, be with my family, my wife, spend a lot more time. Because over those decades of rock and rolling and court appearances and um, in, on the right side of the bench and, <laughs> and travelling around, you know, with the commission, then with the Wiggles and stuff, you know, I, I've lost a lot of holidays and time with them over the decades. But I'm, I did at one stage make, make sure that was a focus and it really is now. So my wife and I particularly spend a lot more time and we go places together because you never know. That's the other thing we know, eh? Mm. Yeah. One song. We always yeah. we always go so out with with a song. Do we do we dare ask? I, I, mean, I, I know with Paul. Look, I, look, Paul and I have been friends, even though yep. at a distance, yeah. for well over thirty five years. And, yes. and um, because of Facebook, I get to see yes. Paul going to gigs every other night, <laughs> which I'm a little bit envious of, I must say. But nevertheless, um, I was thinking on the way here. I wonder what song you would pick if you had to pick one song. Mm. Oh, and and, and it, it, seriously, it's not it's not a product tie-in, but give me shelter because the Stones have driven, it helped start my musical career, right. uh, and again, it's, there's no coincidence really there that, that that book that I've written under that name, it, it fits it perfectly, and I think it's it's for the Stones who were just a great grungy mess about rock band, you know. Um, that's high art. That's mm. that's as good as any book you read. That song, mm. and performance-wise, guitar Keith's guitar was an Australian mate and guitar. <laughs> it's just it's just an awesome. How do you song. know that shit? <laughs> How do you not know that? Paul, Paul knows what colour socks they wore in 1967. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paul, Paul, thanks so much thank, for coming. Thank in. you, oh, Paul. It's, great it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thank you.
Let's go.